If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you take your copy of God's Word and open it up to the book of Revelation as we are studying under a series title that God has put in our heart and in our life here at the church is called the power of red. Now I want to make sure that you understand completely that when we look at the series title, it is absolutely undeniably all about the power of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We know that nothing can wash away our sin. No, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus sustains us, gives us power, gives us authority, gives us entrance into the presence of God. So we recognize and realize that there is power, power, wonder-working power, where your church, in the blood, in the precious blood of Jesus. We've been talking about that, and today, as you open your Bible up, we're going to be studying under the sermon title today, Jesus Christ, the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. Jesus Christ, the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. As you take your Bible and be finding the book of Revelation, if you'll open it up in the very beginning of that book, you will find that John is on the Isle of Patmos. As John is on the Isle of Patmos, beginning in verse number one, we find that God instructs John that this is a revelation that is given to John and to the servants of the Lord to proclaim things that are shortly going to come to pass. So as John begins to take the pen and begins to write down the words that are given to him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to pen these divine words that should encourage us today. So as we open our Bible up to Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5 and verse number 6, we look there together that John, as he is writing the words that God has given to him, he understands that it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the what church? Faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our our sins in his own blood. Can I get an amen? Look at verse number six. It says, and he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. Read this out loud together, church. To him be glory and dominion. How long? forever and ever. Give me a big old what? Amen. Now if you look back there at verse number 5, we've been taking the journey for the last few weeks and when you look at verse number 5, we talk about Jesus Christ who first of all is the faithful witness. And then secondly, we have discussed that he is the first begotten of the dead. Today we're going to focus in on the third part of that passage of scripture that indicates to us that Jesus Christ is the prince of the kings of the earth. So I want to make sure you underline that your Bible. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. So when we begin to look there together, we realize that Jesus Christ has been given some distinction as we look there together. So as we look at the title today, we realize that Jesus Christ is the prince of the kings of the earth. Among the images that was given to Jesus while he was on this earth, none are more noteworthy than the title of king. When you think about that, kings were prominent in Israel in Judah. As a matter of fact, when you study your Bible history, you begin to realize that there were 42 kings that took the, the rule of Israel uh, during their history. David was held as the premier king of Israel. He was held in high esteem. David was held in high esteem as a prototype of the expected Messiah. And when we think about that, we know that Jesus Christ is the distinguished occupant of the throne of David. Now listen 
listen very carefully. Are you with me? Say amen. We know that one day Christ is going to come back. The Bible tells us that, that one day unannounced, the Lord is going to come back. He's going to rapture his church. The church is going to be raptured, and we're going to go to heaven with, to be with the Lord. While that's going on, seven years of tribulation period is going to happen. During that time, we understand all the judgment and wrath of God is going to fall upon this earth. At the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be an established, what we call millennial reign of Christ on the earth. Jesus Christ will occupy the throne of David. That is, he will fulfill the Davidic covenant that God gave with the nation of Israel and Jesus Christ will fulfill that role. During that time in the millennial reign of Christ it will not be a democracy any longer as we know it today. It will be a theocracy. That is Jesus Christ will rule from the throne of David. So we realize then that there's coming a time when Christ is going to be the millennial king that will reign from the Mount of Olives in, Jew in, in Jerusalem and he's going to sit upon the throne of David thus the fulfillment of that promise is going to happen. So we look there together, we understand that Jesus Christ is the distinguished king and he is the fulfillment of that Davidic promise. Now today I want to take you through a journey so are you with me? Say amen. The first thing I want you to notice about this incredible thought is that Jesus Christ is the prophesied king. He is the prophesied king. So I want you to open your Bible to the book of Isaiah. There are many places in the scripture where there is prophecy that is given about Christ ruling and reigning as the king. The, the prophets of old, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written down the prophecies that was going to take place, that was going to happen. And there are many places in your Bible that you could turn to, to to find that there is a prophetic utterance of a king that is going to come and he's going to rule upon on the throne of David. As a matter of fact, one of the most beautiful fulfillment or one of the most beautiful prophecies is found in the book of Isaiah. So open your Bible to the book of Isaiah today, chapter 9, and we'll look there together. Now as you open your Bible up there, you will be familiar with this passage of Scripture because most of the time when we study the book of Isaiah in this passage of Scripture, uh, most of the time it's around the Christmas season uh, to where we begin to recognize this promise of God. But I want you to notice there in verse number 6 of the chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, say it church, wonderful, say it church, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. How many of you believe that's Jesus? Can I get an amen? How many of you believe that Jesus Christ is wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Do you believe that's Christ? If you do, let's give him a celebration of praise today because he is that one. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Then notice in verse number seven, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no what? In. Underline it in your Bible. He's going to occupy the throne. He, he, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the Bible says right there that, that the, the government shall be upon his shoulders and, and, and his, his increase of his government, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of who? 
David, there it is, guys. Make sure you nail that down. He's going to be upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even how long? Forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So now we've got a prophecy that's given by a distinguished prophet, Isaiah, that says there's going to come one and he's going to, he's going to be a king. He's going he's gonna to occupy the throne of David, not for a month, not for a year. You're not going to vote him in. You're not going to vote him out. You're not going to impeach him. He is the king. He is the God-ordained king that is going to come. You don't have a say in the matter. God the Father has already established this, and the prophetic word was uttered by the prophet. And by the way, how many of you know this? Every time God says something, God will do what he says he's going to do. Can I get an amen? He, he will not say something and fail on his promise. You've got to know that, y'all. That our Father, when he says something, he will bring it to pass. He will always bring it to pass. Now watch this. 700 years goes by. 700 years goes by. 700 years go by. From the moment that the great prophet wrote these words down, 700 years takes place. So now we've got a prophet that's saying, there's going to come a king. There's going to come a king. So the nation of Israel is expecting the, the king to show up. So there we find 700 years later, we find in the book of Luke something profound happens. So open your Bible to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26, we find an incredible reality that takes place. It is incredible how God, seven, how long, y'all? How long? 700 years later, we find these words written by Dr. Luke. And I want you to notice this. It is crazy good. Luke chapter 1, we find that God begins to tell us. And, and I want you to see the introduction of this because it is so powerful. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And he was sent to a what? A virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the what? House of David. There it is. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came into her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. When he, she saw him, she was troubled at, at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth a son, and don't make any mistake about it. You will call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him, say it with me, the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Can I get an amen? So now we find the prophecy is given. There's going to be a king that's going to come. And, and, and in Luke we find that the king showed up. His name was who, guys? Jesus, and his kingdom is going to be forever. Think about that. We're talking about a, a king who has no end, a king that's going to rule forever and ever and ever and ever. What a profound thought that is. So we know that there's a prophetic utterance about the king, but watch secondly, Jesus is not only the prophesied king, he's a problem king. Uh, listen to me. When, when Jesus showed up, he was a problem to Caesar. 
He was a problem to Agrippa. He was a problem to, to Pilate. He was a problem to Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. And by the way, can I just tell you this? He's still a problem today. There, there's people today that don't want to recognize his kingship. There, there's people today that, that despise who he is. So when Jesus showed up on this earth, he was a problem. He was a problem to the status quo. He was a problem to the, to the, to the rulers and, and the leaders of that day. When Jesus shows up, guys, he's always going to cause a problem. Because, listen, he's the only one that deserves the glory. He's the only one that deserves the, the reputation. He's the only one that deserves honor. And so when you have to submit to that, then all of a sudden we recognize, man, he's a problem. And I'm going to tell you something. You better listen to me. If you hadn't made him king of your life, he's a problem to you as well because there's a fight going on. There's a battle that's happening. That battle is a battle over who's going to rule your life, who's going to be in charge of everything. And Jesus was a problem king. And I want you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Let's look there together. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse number 11, you'll see a profound truth that begins to reveal itself there. In verse number 11 of chapter 27, and Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus saith unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priest and, and, and the elders, he answered nothing. But watch the next verse. In verse number 27, it goes on, it says, And the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall, and they, they, they gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his hand and they bowed before the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they hit him on his head. And after that, they mocked him and they took the robe off of him and, and they put on his own raiment on him and they led him away to crucify him. What a powerful picture that is. Now we find this king that, that authentically is the king of the world. And now the soldiers are mocking him and spitting him and slapping him and beating him and spitting on him. And, and they're taking a, a robe and they're putting it on him. And after they beat him and he's bloodstained and all this stuff is happening to his flesh and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, they put that crown of thorns on his head not as, a, not as a sign of loyalty but as a sign of mockery. And they hit him on the head and they drove the thorns into his head and they, they bowed their knee and they made fun of him and they spit on him. And guys, I'm telling you, that's what's happening today. People are not giving him the loyalty but they're mocking him. And verse number 35 is profound. It says they crucified him. They parted his garments and the cast light, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. There it is, y'all. They parted the garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And they set over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And Jesus answered them when he was talking about this. They didn't understand this, and they, they make fun of him and they put a sign over it and say, this is the king of the Jews. This is, this is a nobody that proclaims he's somebody. But Jesus said, you don't understand, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. 
In other words, if I was just in it for this moment, this carnality, this, this world, then you know what? I would rally all my servants and they would fight uh, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But watch this, everybody. Are you listening? But now my kingdom's not from here. Pilate said unto him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say I'm a king, but to, for this end I was born. And for this cause I came in this world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of truth hears my voice. And what he was saying was, I came to show people that there's a bigger picture than the United States of America. And there's a bigger picture than electing presidents. And there's a bigger picture than governors and rulers of this world. My king was not sent to establish his kingdom on this earth. His kingdom's not of this earth. It's much bigger than that. Can I get an amen? And so when we looked at it together, we know that in doing that, we find that Jesus now is a problem king. He's setting up a kingdom, y'all, that's bigger than this world. But then look at the third thing. Jesus is the professed king. The professed king. Uh, when you open your Bible in the book of John, you begin to realize that Jesus, the proclamation of who he is, the profession of who he is, it's incredible how it begins to work there in John chapter 19 and verse number 13. You'll see that when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and set him down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew it's called Gabbatha, and it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, behold your king. Now watch this now. Are you listening to me? Say amen. In verse number 14, if you go back there, he's bringing Jesus out and he's saying, you want this king or another king? In other words, verse 14 is a moment of decision. And every one of you, every one of you that are here today and every one of you that are on the campuses and every one of person that's listening by radio and watching, watching on the internet, it's your decision too. What are you going to do? Are you going to choose Jesus as your king? Or, verse 15 says these words. In verse number 15, he says, But they cried out, Away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said unto them, Do you want me to crucify your king? And they, the chief priests, and answered, We have no king but Caesar. You know what they were saying? Watch this, guys. They were saying, we're choosing between God and the world. We're choosing between a kingdom that's bigger than what I could see or the present moment. And every one of you have to make that same decision. Will, will you choose Jesus? Or are you gonna, and if you don't choose Jesus, what you're saying is, away with him, crucify him. I care nothing about him. I'd rather have the world than Christ. And so the next verse says, then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus, and they led him away. And the Bible says, he bearing his own cross, went forth to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him. On either side, Jesus in the middle. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on a cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. 
This title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh unto the city, and it was written, are you listening, in three different languages. The known language, the known dialects of the world, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, so that nobody could miss it. And then the chief priest of the Jews, Pilate, wrote, said, write not the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, say that I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, what I have written, I have written. In other words, this is not going to change. This is not going to change. I'm not, I can't change it. There must have been something that regulated that. You know what it was? It was God the Father that was regulating this is not going to change. So Jesus is the professed king. But not only that, he is the present king. The present king. We recognize and realize that when we think about Christ, he's not just a king past, he's a king present. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 1 and 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the house of bread, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Ladies and gentlemen, the wise men came because they were directed by God to come to Jerusalem. You know why? Because Jesus is a real king. He's a present king. Where is this king? For we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. And by the way, you may want to make a side note of this. All wise people worship Jesus. If you're wise, you worship him as king. You understand him. You, reg you, you bow before him. You humble yourself before him. Jesus Christ is not the king of the past, but he is the king present. He is king. And then the next thing is he's the potentate king. I like that word. Everybody say that word with me, y'all. Come on. The what? Potentate king. Uh, when you look at the word potentate, it's an interesting word. When you begin to realize it and you begin to dissect it and kind of look through it and begin to understand what is it is donastos, it, it actually means that he is king royal, that he is majesty, that he is the absolute, sovereign, perfectly independent, royal king of the universe. That's who he is. He's the potentate king. There is none above him, y'all. There is none greater than him. There's none beside him. He is the royal majesty. Can I get an amen? And we know that. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15 says, which in times past he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The proclamation is that Jesus Christ is the royal majesty, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you believe that today, church? Can I get an amen? Let's give him praise. He's awesome today. What an incredible thought that he is. The powerful, most royal king of the universe. And I thank God for the potentate king, Jesus Christ. Oh, but there's a final thing. And that is the prevailing king. He's not only the prophetic king. He's not only a problem king or, or a professed king or a present king. He's not only the potentate king, the royal king of majesty. He's not only the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But I'm going to tell you, my friend, are you listening? He is the prevailing king. 
There is none greater than our King Jesus. Amen. There is none superior than our King Jesus. If we are children of God, we have a king above us. And that king is Christ. And my friend, he is the prevailing king. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, indivisible, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory, how long? Forever and ever can I get a what? Amen. How many of you believe he is the prevailing king forever and ever and ever? He is that. Amen. He is the prevailing king forever. And then when you open your Bible, y'all, to the book of Revelation, and you just kind of journey through from chapter 1 all the way to the climactic moment of conclusion of the book of Revelation, it is powerful what we find that John the Revelator pins down for us as the climactic moment of recognizing who this Jesus is. And it is incredible. It says his eyes, his eyes were as a flame of fire and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. There's the power of red. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which which were in heaven followed him upon white horses and they were clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture, he had on his vesture And on his thigh, a name that is written. Say it with me, everybody. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I get an amen? He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I tell you this? Nobody can disqualify him. Nobody can vote him out of office. Nobody can impeach him. Nobody can get rid of our king. Our king is a prevailing king from now and forevermore. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. There is nothing that can change that. Nothing, absolutely nothing can change that. My prayer is that somehow the church begins to realize that again. That we're not just here just to be here. We're here to worship our King. Because of that, I I wanted to bring a bottom line to you. The bottom line to me is kind of neat. And that is Jesus can be your personal King. And that's what we want to think about. He, 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 he came to be your king. And, and what this is kind of the way it works, y'all. Let's just think that this is that our heart and in our heart is a throne. And, and that throne is there in all of our hearts. And this is what most of us do we sit on the throne of our heart and we occupy the spot 
And we say, I'm going to do it my way. This is my life. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to make my own choices. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And uh, I'm going to be on the throne of my life. And most of us that sit in this chair on the throne of our heart have had to suffer serious consequences. Because when you occupy the throne of your heart, sooner or later, your kingdom's going to crumble. No, no matter how strong you are, or how tough you are, or how bad you think you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how clever you are, there will come a time in your life where your kingdom will crumble when you're here. So what does God want? God wants you to get off the throne. He wants you to vacate the throne of your heart and say to him, today, I want you to sit here. And you sit in my, on my throne of my heart and I will bow before you. And I want to give you the rightful place of not just being the king of heaven, of not just being the king that occupies the Davidic throne in the millennial, but I want you to be here. I want you to be my personal king. And when you get off the throne of your heart and you say to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to, I want you to take your rightful place in my life. I want you to be the king of my heart. That's when his kingdom begins to have authority in your life. And there's some of you here today that that's exactly what you need to do. Because you've been on that throne too long. You've tried to do it your way too long. And you need to say to God, God, I'm giving this to you today. And then there's some of you that are believers that this is what you've done. You've said to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. And he's done that. He is your Savior. And he's rescued you from hell. But you hadn't made him Lord of your life. And what Jesus is to you is... He's your fetch boy. He's a good savior for you because he's going to keep you out of hell. But he's not a good king for you. And, and Jesus to you is someone that you say, fetch me this and get me that and bring me a blessing. And I want you to go do this for me. And I want you to get me out of this mess I'm in. And I want you to do this for me. And it's almost like Jesus is your errand boy, Savior. He doesn't want to be that to you. He wants to be your Lord. 
And my prayer for churches all over America is that the congregations of people would get off the throne of their life and say to Christ, Lord, you're the king and I'm the servant. And God, I want you to be the king of my heart, the king of my life. And I've been this too long. And I'm hard-headed. And I messed it up. But God, today, I want you to be my king. Not just a king I read about in the Bible. Not just a king that's going to come one day. But I want you to be my personal king. I wonder if there's anybody here today that needs to do that. That just needs to come to an altar and go, Lord, I think he's right. I made you my servant. I made you a novelty of my spiritual life. But God, I want to make you king today. I, I want to make you king of my life. So if you're here, Maybe you just need to come and kneel and say, God, today I want to change that. This is your moment. This is your time to come and say to the Lord, yeah, I need, I need, a, I need, I need you to be different for me. Or maybe you're here and you want to join the church. There's going to be people here to welcome you at the altar. And we had people come in this morning that joined. Or maybe you've never given Christ your heart. Today you need to do that. From the balcony all the way over the auditorium, all the way at our campuses, let's put Jesus back on the throne of our life. So if you want to come, you come. Our ministers are going to come. And this is your moment. Bethany, why don't you just sing this for us?